and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Christian, Christian said, can I talk to you? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, that's how you pack a room out. You tell people you're going to talk about a genealogy. <laughs> we, we are going to dig into the book of Matthew. I kind of want to just give you a little, if we haven't met, I'm Thomas. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I am... Um, my, my main role is with you, the young adults, and it's just such a privilege. Just standing in the back worshiping a minute ago, I'm just, just in awe of you choosing to come out on a rainy Tuesday night and be a part of this community, and just we're just really glad to have you. Um, <clears throat> and we're just we're excited to see what the scriptures reveal to us over these next several weeks. But let me just tell you how this is going to work. We're going to go through Matthew basically for the rest of the year. Now, now that doesn't mean every week we're going to study every little verse and we're going to go through and it's going to take us, you know, the next 40 weeks to, to knock this out. But I do think it's really good if we can have this book to come back to frequently throughout the year. So we're gonna go through a chunk of it, um, uh, the first few chapters over the next couple of weeks, and then we're gonna take some breaks here and there, and we're gonna do little mini-series in the breaks. And so, for instance, um, one of those series is gonna be like a hearing from God. I'm jokingly calling it, here's your sign. Uh, and so that's on like discernment, which is only funny to me, which is fun. Uh, a You Asked For It series. We're gonna do a couple of weeks where we collect a whole bunch of questions from you and I may have a couple of other folks join me up here and we're just gonna rip through like 20 questions per, per session and it can be sky's the limit. Um, and so that's, that'll, be, that'll be fun and it'll be pretty candid. Uh, and, but I, I, we, we may also do another series on the, the omnis, the omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, um, and how that is God and not us, but we live like that all the time, especially in the information age. We really live like we can do all those things. And that's part of the reason some of you are so stressed out. Uh, and then, but I just want you to know each week in the Matthew series, just because it may not be super cleverly titled, titles are the worst. If you've ever written a sermon, they're like really hard to come up with. Some people are great at them. I'm just really bad at titles. So just cut me a little slack on the titles sometimes. Uh, but I promise you that the word of God is living and active and speaks to us super practically day in and day out. And so every, every time we open the book of Matthew, what we're really doing is we're, we're re-meeting Jesus. And that's what I want us to do. And as we re-meet Jesus, I think we're gonna understand things like fear and how to deal with fear. Um, we're gonna understand like how and why we love our enemies. We'll like topics like sexual sin and why is that so serious? Why the poor matter? Why halfway is not an option? There's just so many things that I think will be really relevant to your daily life as we go through this book. And so I want us to stay anchored in that uh, for, for the rest of the year with several breaks to do some mini series um, and, and so I just think it's going to be great. So what we're looking at here tonight that Christian just read us is the introduction 
of Jesus. This is how he's introduced. If you've ever been to a fancy dinner, and I remember when, like, when you first start working, you get invited to one of the fancy dinners, and like, sometimes it's out of town at a really cool place, and you go out of town, and you like, have to bring your nice clothes with you, and, uh, and it, before, you know, there's a keynote speaker, somebody that they paid like 75 grand to come to the thing, but before the keynote speaker gets up, you hear the introductory speeches. And they give like accolade after accolade. And they tell all these things about the person who's going to come up and be the keynote speaker. You've got to have this drum roll and build them up. And it's, you know, part of it is for the two people who, who don't know the person in the room. But, but most of it is because you know the person in the room. And it's just like, tell me more, brag more on this person. That's what Christian just read. The problem is, in modern, in modern English and in modern literature, a genealogy, even if you had all the help possible from Ancestry.com and you did Amazon self-publishing, your story, if you were to write it as a genealogy, would never make the New York Times bestseller list. So when we read this today, we don't see the person introducing the keynote speaker. We see a bunch of so-and-so had so-and-so, so-and-so had so-and-so, so-and-so had so-and-so, and we're just like, let's get to the next part. And so most of the time we skip to verse 18. If you have a, your Bible open, we skip to verse 18, and it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're like, good, I didn't need the other stuff anyway. But what I want us to see is that it's actually really, really important that we have this first part listed out. And so I wanna go to, uh, I wanna just show you in the iPad form here a little bit of why this is so, so important. I put all this text on there to make you uncomfortable. All right, and so this is on, this is totally on purpose. You should feel a little bit like, oh no, what's happening? But as you, as you read through this, this list here, you should start seeing some interesting names pop up in this list. Um, and like Tamar and Rahab and uh, the wife of Uriah. I missed Ruth, she's here. Here's Ruth. And then... Scroll just a hair, and then down here, we have Mary. In this list of masculinity here, all this testosterone that's listed here, there's five women that are included. And I think we have to ask the question, why would the five women be included in this genealogy? And so I think this is very important for us to start to understand and to ask the question, what, what are these ladies doing in here? I mean, if you look, this is something you can't really do in your Bible without feeling really guilty, but I can do it on here because it erases. So what we have are, are these, these five ladies, and it should start raising the question, what does the author, what does Matthew, the former tax collector, want us to see by introducing these five women into the lineage of Christ? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. I think we, what we can learn through these women is something very, very pivotal as these are the introductory speeches introducing Jesus. So what in the world is Matthew trying to tell us through these women, in particular, the first four, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah? 
Well, I, I've got six things, and, and I'm not like a six-point person. Usually I talk and there's like, I, I try to have one main focus in a text, in a sermon. So I think these things, if you're a note-taker, you'll be like, finally, he has six things. If you're not a note-taker and, and, and you're accustomed to my normal style, you'll think, he has six things? But these six things are actually very natural. I just think it's helpful to list them out. So let me list them out to you. I think what we're trying to see in this lineage of Christ is that Jesus loves foreigners. He's drawn to the people that aren't his. He also is very, very comfortable with somebody with a sordid past. He also visits people for a long time, often before he calls them. These people witness God from afar. But eventually, these women, especially the four, Mary's like a little bit of an exception here, especially the four, they all embraced God at some point and made him their own. And then all of these women have a major act of faith that they embark on. And ultimately, they become the redeemed of the Lord. I hope now you're starting to see a little bit of flesh go on the skeleton of those 16 verses that Christian read. These names all carry weight. They all carry gravity. They all carry meaning. And there's, there's some really, really romance ideas that are built into the meanings of each of their stories. And I don't mean romance like seven days ago romance. I mean romance, that was Valentine's by the way. I don't mean romance like that. I mean like divine romance like the Lord wooing and calling people. So let's talk about this. The foreigners, none of these women were Hebrews. It's very interesting. The whole lineage of Christ, Matthew, a Jewish writer, writing to a primarily Jewish audience, shouldn't have included them. But he includes five of the women, and four of the five are foreigners. Mary's the only one that has a Jewish background. They all have sordid past. Now, each of these characters by modern literature standards are underdeveloped. And so the fact that they're mentioned at all in the Hebrew Bible, a Near Eastern book, is very, very important because oftentimes women would, were totally left out. They're viewed as property. They're viewed as, uh, as an extra to have along to, to bear more children so that you can take over more cities. And so these women, uh, they, they are underdeveloped, but what we're told about each of these women has great weight. And if you think about it, we were talking in a teaching meeting yesterday, even Esther, who has a whole book named after her, like has kind of a small role in that book. So, so, so many of these folks are like very underdeveloped. So what we have, we need to cling to every little bit that we have about them because it's very, very important for us to understand not them, but how they helped usher in Jesus. And each of them has a pretty tumultuous past. Their pasts were either self-inflicted which is some of us in the room. The reason we have the troubles that we have is because we brought them on. But some of them were victims of circumstance. They entered into worlds they never chose. And that's some of us in the room also. 
Uh, most, all, all four of these women, I would, I would add Mary to this too, all five of these women come with what we would call today baggage. And if you're like, what are you talking about? Well, Mary, for instance, when Mary shows up on the scene, uh, she is a teenage girl, and the first thing we hear is an angel announcing, chosen are you among women. I'm gonna come to this verse in just a second, but chosen are you among women, and then all of a sudden she's pregnant out of wedlock. So each of these women comes with baggage, and there's something very, very interesting about Jesus picking people who have baggage. Uh, in fact, let me just go ahead and show you the, the verse from the line in Luke 1.28. It says, this is the angel speaking to Mary, and the angel says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, this is so interesting. You would think that the angel who appears to one of the women in this lineage, when the angel says, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Of all the women in the world who have ever lived, he's picking you. Now, something very interesting about Mary's life that's different than the other four. And as I was studying the passage, I thought, I just kind of paused. And I always pray as I'm preparing to preach. And I'm not saying that the, the Lord necessarily always tells me everything super clear. At least I can't always hear it clear. But this is one time that I just paused and I thought, I think I just need to say this. Um, and so maybe this one verse is for you tonight. Maybe this is the whole reason you came because since you've come into a relationship with Jesus, life has become more difficult than ever before. Mary's life was going probably just fine. She was engaged to Joe. He's a carpenter. He had a great job. She was going to like get, you know, they were going to live on the second floor. Like they were, they were doing great. And then when she met the Lord... He messed her whole life up. She has to carry this child out of wedlock. And then she has to go through the shame of trying to convince her husband that it wasn't another man and it was God and, and, and thank the Lord that he visited Joseph as well and convinced Joseph and Joseph believed he was a righteous man. He believed that this was a divine pregnancy and so he doesn't divorce her but she has to go and hide out with her cousin Elizabeth and then she has to give birth in in a place where animals dwelt and shepherds dwelt. And, uh, and then ultimately she has to, to go through all these phases where at one point she thinks her son is crazy and then eventually she sees him on a cross. Her life was going just fine until the first part of Matthew when the birth of Jesus through her was announced. And some of you might be in that boat. This is not a call that all Christians receive. This is a call that few people receive. But the Lord uses these people, these people whose lives become really, really difficult after Christ. He uses these people for incredible redemptive works. They get this extra measure of grace in their lives. And it reminds us that he is more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. And yet our joy is rooted in our holiness, not our happiness. And so 
some of you just hang on. You're not alone. Sometimes life with Jesus is truly more difficult than without him. But it's not nearly as good. Then we see that all of these women, at least the first four in particular, were witnesses of God from a distance. One of my favorite verses is Job 42.1. If you're like a note taker, underliner, Job 42.1. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and I am comforted. I repent. I'm comforted in dust and ashes. There's something so beautiful about this that these, these women got to witness God doing work before they were ever called into relationship with him. And that is so many of your stories as I've talked to you. And some of you are in the process. You're seeing God work. You're seeing him use your friends. You're seeing him change your roommate's life. You're seeing him change your boss at work's life. You're seeing him change other people and you're witnessing the actions of God. And you better watch out because he's gonna ambush you. Like he's very good at like sealing the deal. If you're seeing God do a bunch of stuff and you're curious and you're checking him out, you just need to be careful. He's got his eye on you. He wants you to be his. He wants you to be redeemed. He wants you to be a child of the king. And these women got to watch this and witness this before their trust was ever placed in him. And then eventually they embrace God as their own. They're no longer victims, but instead they are daughters of the king. And then they all get to live their faith out, each one. And that is some, for some of you, that is the next step. You proclaim Jesus and it's time to act out your faith. And each of them were living examples of redeemed lives. They've been rescued by God. I, I do think it would be helpful, though, if we took one of these women in particular, just, just one of the four, not Mary. We're going we're gonna to hit on Mary as the book goes on. But I think if we take one of these other four out for a minute and we talk about her, I think it'll help you understand what is happening here. So, so let's take Rahab. Let's take Rahab out of this picture and let's go to Joshua chapter two, go ahead and flip to Joshua chapter, chapter two. And Joshua chapter two is where we're first introduced to Rahab. And so this is the, some people call this the Joshua generation. Uh, Moses and all those who were of his generation have died. And now the Israelites 40 years later are finally going to enter the promised land. And so they're about to enter the promised land. The way this happens is Joshua sends out two spies. That sounds very familiar because Moses sent out two spies and Joshua was one of the two. And so Moses sends out two spies. He sends them out into a town called Jericho. If you are going with Jason uh, and company in the next few weeks to Israel, you will see Jericho. It is a hot place. It is like always hot. I can't, I can't tell you enough. Anyway, you just need to go. If you're coming with us on the Young Life mission trip, you too will see Jericho and you'll see it in the summer and you'll think, who would ever live in Jericho? Uh, and so <clears throat> Joshua sends out these two spies. They go and they find refuge as they're spying out the town of Jericho at a woman's house whose name is Rahab. And so 
I'll just read you a couple of the, a couple of the verses. Um, let's look at verse, we'll start like midway through verse one. Joshua says, go view the land, especially Jericho. When they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. You should, you should keep count how many times this woman is called prostitute. Whose name was Rahab. And they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Now let's just pause right there. Let me just kind of tell you the story in dramatic effect. So you have this prostitute. She's been a prostitute for years. She knows how to talk to men. The king sends some folks to her house. Now Jericho's small. So when you, when you see this, you need to understand Jericho is not a giant metropolis. When you go there, if you ever go there, you can walk around where they've excavated where Jericho was, and it'll take you about 20 minutes. So Jericho's a small little town, but it does have walls all around it. And as, they're, as the, the folks would come and go, they would obviously visit this prostitute for years and so this lady says, oh yeah, those guys, they did come. And I, I don't do a very good like prostitute impersonation, but, but I imagine she was like, she was probably good with the men. She knew how to like sweet talk them. And so she was, it did her sweet talking and she was like, don't worry, king. I just imagine like her hand on his shoulder and he's like, okay, they're not here. Like, I just, I don't know. But I just picture this, like, woman who's, like, turning it on to get this king out of there. And so they, what she does before they come, though, is she takes the men up on the roof, and she lays them down, and she covers them. She covers them with these mats. But before she covers them with the mats, she says to them, look at verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And she said to the men, now remember, she's like smooth talking. She's able to manipulate men. She has made a living off of getting what she wants from these men, which is their money. We see a whole different side of her in this dialogue. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt before you. And here's the reason why, verse 10, because we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God. Listen to this. This is her confession. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And then she goes and she pleads for mercy. Would you please spare me and my family? My father, my sister, my mothers, all my brothers, would you spare me and my family? Because I know who your God is. All those men, those men that came to take advantage of this woman, who came to use her and walk away from her, you wonder how many of them came out of the fields came away from Egypt 
and in their cheapened conversations with this prostitute, began to talk about, oh, well, you should hear about these people down in Egypt. They're getting out, and they've got these plagues going on, and you can, that happens. She hears about, you know, the rumors start spreading. They hear about, oh, man, they crossed the, they crossed the Red Sea. Oh, they started getting bitten by serpents out in the desert, and their leader put, a, put another serpent in, in the sand, and when the people looked at the serpent, the, the bites that they had from the real serpents were healed. And we don't know all the details, but we can just imagine that over the years of this woman doing exactly the opposite of what God would want her to do with her life, he had his eyes on her. And he was pursuing her. And these men who had no intention of converting this woman to follow Yahweh happened to be spreading the gospel while they're trying to get with this woman. The Lord was pursuing this lady. And doesn't it make total sense why someone like this would be giving the introductory speech to the birth of Jesus Christ? At the very end of this section of takeover of Jericho, you know the story, they march around the city for seven days, six days they march around at one time, on the seventh day they march around at seven times, and the walls come tumbling down. You know, you know how the, if you don't know how the song goes, there's a song. Um, I wasn't just singing that. Uh, but I wanted to show you that the last, the last record we have of Rahab, because you would think it would end like beautiful. If you look on the iPad here, I have uh, Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, and then 22 through 23. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live. And so Joshua sends the spies go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and protect her like you swore. So the young men who had been spies went and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and put them outside the camp of Israel. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, uh, Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, and Joshua saved alive. Uh, and she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho three times here. Her last record in the Old Testament, she's called a prostitute. And so we're just left like hanging, you know, for like 1,500 years. What's the rest of the story? And when we get to Matthew chapter one, we find this woman who leaves us as the prostitute, as the great, 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 great times 16 or 17 grandmother of Jesus. And that is a really good person to give the intro speech to the birth of Christ. What we see 
when we see her life and we look, compare it with Matthew chapter one, verse five. And if you have your Bible, flip back over to Matthew chapter one, verse five, because that's the verse that she's in. What we see is that Salmon is the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz is the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David. That's right, King David. So what we see is that her husband is named Salmon. Now we're given some clues. You see, Salmon's dad, who was dead by the time they got into Israel, Salmon's dad was the brother-in-law. You're gonna think I'm like making this stuff up. Like this is like some extra Bible stuff that I just pulled out. So I'm not even gonna tell you the verses. Go look them up. They're all in your Bible. Salmon was the brother-in-law of Aaron the priest. So, I'm sorry, Nashon. Nashon, that's the right one. I said that wrong. I meant it. Uh, Nashon, who is Salmon's dad, is the brother-in-law of Aaron the priest. So little boy Salmon grew up probably at a few family dinners, not just with Aaron the priest, but you know who Aaron's brother was? A guy by the name of Moses. So little Salmon probably went to some family dinners where he was hanging out with Aaron the priest and Moses and their sister Miriam. And so this little boy was probably part of the exodus He probably saw Exodus 12, 38, the mixed multitude, the people that came out with the Hebrews was more than just the Hebrews. Egyptians came out and some others came out who believed this is the God, the one who caused the plagues. And so this little boy saw this whole thing play out. He saw the foreigners mixed in with him. When it came time for his like, be real, he was like, he was like, there's the golden calf behind me. And then he was like, and then out in front of me, there's Moses up on the mountain with God talking. So, so he's, I mean, he saw it all. And somewhere in the mix, Salmon decided, these people are nuts. Why do they keep rebelling against God? He's so faithful. He gives us, he gives us manna. He gives us quail. He saves us from snake bites. He gives us water from rocks. Why are they rebelling from God? And in that, he began to cultivate a heart for the least of these. And then one day, when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, out walked this woman and her family. And in Deuteronomy 21, it says that when you take a captive, they have to be placed outside the camp. And it says there in uh, Joshua chapter six that they were placed outside the camp. And you know what you did with the women? In Deuteronomy 21, it says you shave the woman's head. So this prostitute who was wooing men her whole life, now has a shaved head. And that shaved head was a sign to all the other men, you cannot touch her. She is to be protected. And so on one hand, it seems really cruel. On the other hand, it was God's way of marking her to say, she's protected. Don't touch her. Don't approach her sexually. And so for a time, Salmon got to watch this prostitute to see what would she be like with us? What will she act like with our people? And she begins to cultivate, and you know this because she's in the lineage of Christ, she begins to cultivate her own walk with the Lord, who she had already proclaimed in Joshua chapter two. And she, she began to understand how to live life as an exile. She wasn't a Hebrew, but she wasn't a Canaanite anymore. She was in the middle 
And that's exactly where we as Christians walk in the middle. We're strangers in a foreign land, Peter calls us. We are exiles here. But ultimately, what I think she found was that she was God's. And this woman is pursued by this man who had seen God do so many things and so many people walk away. A man who was a chief among his people, if you look him up in the scriptures. He saw someone that everybody else said, that's a prostitute. And he said, no, that's a person. And she loves the Lord. All of these women, all five, have grit. You can imagine the shame every day. Oh, that's Rahab the prostitute. She, she saved the spies. She had to live with that. But her husband, who's also in the lineage of Christ, said nobody should live with that alone. These are the opening speeches of the introductory, or the introduction of the man himself. You know, I want to just revisit now that we've, we've taken a step back and looked at one person, I want us to zoom back in and I want us to see that the people in the lineage of Christ are foreigners. Their past are messed up. They have these witness moments of what God is doing from a distance. And eventually, the witness of the Lord calls them and they embrace him as their own. And they have these bold acts of faith. They redeem spies and the like. And ultimately, their lives are redeemed. And so when you look at these women, and if you look at them close enough, you start to see yourself. In all of these women, they're no longer a woman. They're a, a, a person. And you start to see yourself in them. And it makes so much more sense why the Bible in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 would call us the bride of Christ. We're the foreigners. We're the ones with the bad past. We're the ones that get to witness the work of the Lord. And eventually he calls us and, and we embrace him. And then we have these acts of faith. And, of, and ultimately we are redeemed of the Lord. We are the women in the lineage of Christ if we are Christ's. Timothy Keller says in his book on preaching, some of you asked what I did the last two weeks since I didn't preach. Um, I read a book uh, and I went skiing and, uh, and it was great. But the book that I read was, was a Timothy Keller book on preaching and he says in there, every time you expound a Bible text, you are not finished unless you demonstrate how it shows us that we cannot save ourselves and that only Jesus can. So let me do that. Do you remember, do you remember Eve Sad Eve in the Old Testament. The one who first ate the fruit and then tried to fix herself by, by putting covering on. You remember God cursed her in Genesis 3. He cursed her. 
And he said, all women will be cursed because of you. And then in the next breath, he gave this kindness, the most kind kind of kindness, the kind that is completely undeserved, that when someone's so kind and you've been so cruel that all you can do is blush or cry or not look them in the eye because of the kindness that they give you in that moment. In the same breath of the curse, he says, and there will be one day another woman who will bear the seed and the seed will crush the head of the serpent. Heather and I were talking about this and she sent me a picture that she found this past Christmas. I want to show you the picture of Eve and Mary. Do you see Eve touching the belly of Mary? And the serpent wrapped around Eve's leg and Mary's foot symbolically on the head of the serpent. This is the story told for ages. This is the introduction of the Messiah. I think one thing that would help us maybe to make a little bit more sense of these women and the others in the lineage of Christ and how they, they testify to him coming to our mess and none of us ever being too far gone. We'd be best told by hearing from someone else who has met a lady recently. And so I wanna invite Bailey to come up here for just a second. And we're gonna, we're gonna land the plane after Bailey tells this story. But uh, Bailey and Peyton and, um, and a few others, uh, Kevin Terrell, who's on staff here, come on up. Uh, is that one? It's two. We got two. Two's great. The one or two. Thank you. So I want us to, uh, I want you to tell a little story that I think is a modern day example of the Lord using a really broken person and redeeming them. Yeah. And so you you had a friend recently who um, I'll just go ahead and get to the to the punchline. She did just pass away. Yeah. Um, and her name uh, is Deanna, and she's with the Lord now. She's with the Lord. Let's show a picture yeah. of Deanna. <laughs> and so some of you may have seen Deanna at church on some Sundays, um, but tell us about the kind of life that she lived. Yeah, I'll tell you about the life she used to live, uh, and then I'll contrast it to the life she lived for the past couple months, or the past month, really. Um, she lives in Brandon Hill, which is one of the communities that some of you guys have visited and gotten to do some serve days. And so she comes by and will come and always get food. She lives in one of the apartments that doesn't have heat or any windows that block off any weather, uh, no electricity, no running water. And she's squatting in a building that is owned by the Crips. Um, she's a member of the Crips. And so she was a part of this family, and that was, that's been her family for years. Uh, in Brandon Hill, she often would go to the dumpster and would try to find food to eat from the, from the ground or from the dumpster because she was starving all the time. She was addicted to a lot of drugs. She was an alcoholic. She uh, was a prostitute. And she made a living doing that because that's all she knew. She got out of jail after 18 years of being in jail. 
uh, for an assortment of different reasons, and she couldn't find a job. She couldn't, nobody would hire her. And so she turned to what she was used to. She actually told us a story about her childhood, and the only reason she actually went to church as a child was because her mom was a prostitute, and to distract um, or to get her out of the house, she'd kick her out on Sundays, and she'd go with the neighborhood kids to church because it was the only thing to do. And so she was familiar with Great Is Thy Faithfulness and some of the songs that we sang here when we came here, and she hadn't heard it from childhood, but the Lord was just continuing to be with her, but her life was hard, Um, and she was... She lived a really hard life, helpless life. The, the kind of life that I think if you and I were to look at, I think it is similar to Rahab. I think we would say she's too far gone. Mm, yeah. She's done, she's done too much. She, her life is, she's made a lot of bad choices and a lot of things have happened to her. And it's, it's like a less than human mm. uh, kind of image that we get. Yeah. Well, so y'all met her, I'm guessing, doing ministry. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Courtney, actually. I remember going to one of the serve days, and some of you may know Courtney. She may even be in here. I don't know. But ah, there she is. (laughs) Um, I remember being at a serve day and Deanna coming up to Courtney first and engaged, and Courtney gave her a big hug. And from that point, really, Courtney was someone who walked alongside her. Peyton was someone who got to know her, and then I got to know her. And... I really got to know her whenever she got to a breaking point where she asked Courtney, me, and another man to go into her home, which she never did. She felt a lot of shame. Um, That was where she did business. That was where it was disgusting. She lived with possums and rats, and uh, it, it was nasty. But she was so possessed that she reached a point where she was being attacked nightly and feared for her life that they were gonna take her. And so she invited us in and said, there's something to you, (laughs) can you pray? And so. uh, I hope you prayed good. Well, I did not pray. (laughs) Dave actually, this is the man he prayed and uh, he's a prayer warrior. He was over in the Middle East doing ministry for years and years and years. But he prayed, and that was the launching pad for just developing a relationship with Deanna that reflected Christ's light in her life, because from that point forward, she never had a single attack or a single dream. And she came to me two weeks later and was like, you will not believe it. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I think I do. And she actually said, I can't wait to get back my Quran." Uh, which all of her neighbors are Muslim. And so they gave her a Quran, hoping that she would read it and thinking it would add to her hope. Um, but being able to say, Deanna, we, we didn't pray to the God of the Quran. We prayed to the God of the Bible. Can I get you a Bible? Do you have one? And she said, yeah, I don't have a Bible, but that's, that's great. Can I have one? And so... We got our Bible, but that was kind of the beginning of the relationship. And how did she, so you gave her a Bible. Um, what month are we in, and, and then how did she come to know the Lord? Yeah, so we, 
That was in November or early October, late October. And I get a call in December or January, January. And she gave somebody else my number and said, uh, she'll come and get me from the hospital. And so I get a call from a random number and pick up and she needed picked up from the hospital because they, could, they wouldn't provide transportation for her to come back and she had COVID and whatever. But from that day, I hadn't seen her since I'd given her the Bible. And I asked her, I was like, have you read anything? And she started spewing scripture out at me. Like, wow. I was, she shared the entire gospel with me. I said nothing. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh my word, whoa, wow. Um, so I asked her, I said, Deanna, do you have a relationship with God? And she said, yes. <laughs> and I said, well, have you surrendered your life to him? She said, no. I still hold on to some things of the world, but I don't want to anymore. And she talked a lot about how God says that he forgives us of all of our sins, but how God also pukes on the lukewarm. Those were her words. <laughs> And she really had. She really had read. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. all the way in Revelation. Yeah. That's a long read. <laughs> right. Genesis to Revelation, baby. But she read that and immediately was convicted that she was the lukewarm and that the Lord. She said, "I have no treasures in heaven stored up for me, and the Lord is only He's puking on me." And she said, "I'm going to hell." <laughs> and I was like, "All right." And so I said, "Well, can we pray?" And she was like, yes. So we started praying, and then she immediately took over after I said amen, which was weird because she's never prayed. Uh, and just I felt like I was going to start crying right then and there just because it was words that were so clear and clarity. And she is a, she's deeply addicted to a, a lot of things, and there wasn't much clarity ever in her life, um, and it was coming out of her scripture, and she just prayed for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding every time she read the Bible, and she said, and for strength, because God, I am too weak. I cannot do this, but I know that you have strength. Um, she prayed those words all on her own. I said none of that before, <laughs> and so that was, that was one point where we were like, all right, and then on a serve day, she asked where I was at and uh, was wanting prayer for her stepbrother who had passed away and was, she was mourning the loss of him. Uh, and so we prayed and then she immediately says amen and moves on and says, well, we need to pray the sinner's prayer. I need to pray the sinner's prayer. I want to pray the sinner's prayer. I want to give my life to Christ. <laughs> and she was moving very quickly. And she looked at me and was like, uh, will you pray for me? And I said, well, why don't you pray with me? And I said, this is, this is something that happens in your heart kind of mm -hmm. thing. And so we prayed uh, right then and there. And that was what that picture was from. Which was sweet. So, With the QT cup? With the QT cup. I love that. Oh, yeah. That's so sweet. Oh, yes. So that was the point at which she... She really decided, and then from that point on, oh my word, <laughs> so much transformation, and 
the Holy Spirit just pierced her in so many ways. So I can keep going if you want me to talk about that, but... I think you just need to go out into the lobby at the connect table afterwards, me and you, and then people can just line up and talk to you, and I'll just get the cards that they fill out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be around. So, so is, there, is there a word of encouragement based on her story, based on the, the redemption that we see in the lineage of Christ that you would, you would share with folks? Yeah, I think one of the things that... Uh, Wait, one of the things that is just so mysteriously beautiful that I constantly love thinking about um, is just that not a single human on this planet can lose their image barrenness uh, at all, no matter how far away they may seem. And there was a point early on where I was like, Lord, I know your image is in her. I, like, I do not doubt it for a second. Um, but I am having a hard time seeing it. And then to walk alongside her as she started to pray, she sat back there and with Peyton and I and prayed for herself and then prayed for us and for our weakness and our sin that she knew we had um, and that we were also quite helpless. And so one of the things that just to seek the ultimate hope, which is his face and what he did and did and at the cross. Um, and then recognizing that our plans for, for people are not always <laughs> his. Uh, and that we get to join him in what he's been doing for their entire lives. He has been with every single person since the day where they were born and their image is in them, his image is in them. Uh, and to think that we show up and God suddenly shows up too is silly. Uh, so to seek his face always and to just trust that he is working no matter how much you may think you're saying wrong or whatever it may be and just to sit with people uh, was a gift. When we were worshiping and Christ be magnified in me, I was just like, oh my goodness, I don't think I realized what those words were, which um, it's, it's a gift that we're asking the Lord to give us mm-hmm. <laughs> entirely, that he be magnified in us because he can magnify himself without us. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't have much more to say, but I guess this is the one thing, one of the things that I hoped for for Deanna was that she could sit up here or stand up here sometime and share her story, but she cannot. Um, she passed away Wednesday peacefully, but she left us with a few little gifts and some of these pictures are some of it. We got to go out to lunch and she'd never gone out to lunch with friends before and um, a, lot of, a lot of small little gifts in that, but this is her journal. <laughs> she only had it for one Sunday. She came the past three Sundays, which were all three Sundays that she could come since I picked her up at the hospital. And some of the, the names she called 
God. I'll just read them out. And then she wrote a little note at the end. <laughs> it says, Prince of Peace, Alpha Omega, Mashallah, which is a Muslim term, Arabic. <laughs> Father, Papa, Daddy, Counselor, my teacher. She wrote at the very end, if you didn't know, now you know. My God is the only, with five underlines, <laughs> one that is the real life judge of us. And she, she really believed that. She walked down that aisle <laughs> with a sock on her foot uh, and one shoe. Ready, taking communion. She took communion every, every Sunday while she was here and came to this understanding of desiring holiness and what that meant for her and, um, and really felt like she belonged. But she unashamedly walked down that aisle looking much different than you and I because she knew that it didn't matter <laughs> what any of our judgments were. Um, and she had found, found her savior who took her home this past Wednesday. So, yeah. Let's hear it for Bailey. Thank you so much. Okay. If you want to hear more of Deanna's story, uh, I'm sure that she and Peyton and Kevin would be happy to share with you. And so what we see is this lineage of Jesus, it wasn't enough for him to include these people, all of these 42 generations. The gospel's deeper than that. The gospel is that he didn't just love the outsider, he became the outsider. He doesn't just look at our bad pasts and mistakes and forgive them, he took on our bad pasts and mistakes and tragedies. He, he didn't just show us from a distance the works of God, he came in the flesh to be the works of God. He lived big, bold acts of faith, faith and then he lost his life to redeem ours. The Lord reveals in this genealogy his plan and his strong arm of redemption. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you have put your image in us. And just as Bailey said, then you pursue us to draw your image out in the name of Christ. Lord, you are so good to us. Lord, would you just move in our hearts? Would you change our lives? Would you let us know that if we are redeemed, we should proclaim your works? And Lord, if we are not in the redeemed of you, that you call us, no matter what other people call us, you're calling us to be your son or your daughter. Would you move in this place as we sing to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?